Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I am Sarah Seidner, and this is CNN Tonight. And we begin with breaking news this Thursday. An astonishing new report this evening by the Washington Post. The newspaper citing people familiar with the search of the president's Mar-a-Lago home report that classified documents relating to nuclear weapons were among the items FBI agents sought when they went to Donald Trump's property on Monday. The Post says experts in classified information say the unusual search underscores the deep concern among government officials about the types of information they thought could be located there. Post sources did not offer additional details about what type of information the agents were seeking, such as whether it involved weapons belonging to the United States or some other nation, nor did they say if any documents were recovered as part of their search. CNN is reaching out to Donald Trump and his representatives for comment, but this adds a whole new level to a day that was already extraordinary. As the Attorney General of the United States announced the DOJ has asked a judge to unseal the Mar-a-Lago search warrant and property receipt, both of which Donald Trump did receive. I want to bring in CNN National Security Analyst Juliet Kayyem. She served at the Department of Homeland Security under President Obama. Welcome to the show, Juliet. Thanks for having me. Juliet, let's start with this. There are so many questions right now, and this is a bombshell. If the Post-reporting is correct that this had something to do with documents relating to to nuclear weapons. But if it's not something like codes, which I assume would be expired by now, what could they possibly be going after? What could he have in his possession that's this sensitive? Yeah, so that's a great question. The the Post-reporters are some of the best national security reporters out there, and they have strong sourcing. So we, we should assume and have confidence that some of the materials, some, we don't know what percentage, uh, were uh, were trying to be obtained by the FBI. So just putting that, so that we know. The other thing we know is that the division uh, responsible at DOJ uh, for uh, the, the search, essentially, the legal division, is a division within the National Security Division at DOJ. It's called the Counterintelligence uh, an export control division. Why that sounds wonky and not relevant? It actually is quite relevant. Export control is about the possession of materials related to national security, whether you're going to sell them, whether you're keeping them, whether you were going to toss them out the window, does not matter. Uh, it has to do with the possession of, uh, of national security uh, uh, papers or, or whatever else it would be. So we know those two facts. And so there's lots of speculation now, so I could put that in perspective. The other is uh, the range of possibilities at this stage. So I don't want people to get all breathless right now uh, because we don't know what's in it. Here's the range of possibilities. That Donald Trump was in possession of information related to an enemy. Uh, uh, and either didn't, And I'm not going to get into the why did Donald Trump retain them because we don't know yet and he's got really, you know, sort of 
Only he, he knows you know, he's just he's a careless he's a careless person. He never took his job seriously, and so so he's in retention. So if that if you're that enemy, uh, and you are worried that Donald Trump has those materials, you're worried what's he going to do with it. So that could incite a national security uh, problem that is uh, that the Biden administration has to deal with. The second possibility is that it's a nuclear information. Uh, uh, not coding, just information about the weapons, about where they're stored, about uh, their capabilities of an ally. Uh, that too is a problem because the allies will be uh, untrustworthy of what they share with us. And once again, it's a problem for the Biden administration uh, if this is true. The third and potentially the worst case scenario is that it's information about the United States arsenal. And once again, just showing Trump's dereliction of duty, his inability to protect um, us from enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, if it is our information, where where they're stored, uh, their capabilities, what's working, what's not, right? He's as president, he would certainly know if there were challenges within our nuclear arsenal uh, and whether he wanted to retain them because he just likes it uh, or was going to do something with it, we don't know. So that, in my expert opinion, that's the range of possibilities. Uh, so people can understand that we're, we're still not there yet, but uh, none of it is good. I'll say that. that. You know, that range is also terrifying yeah. to to some degree. Just yeah. listening to you discuss what this could be. And again, we need to make clear, we don't know exactly uh, what it is. And we don't know whether or not the FBI was able to obtain uh, those records. But we are hearing this reporting. And as you said, the Washington Post has a lot of inside information from, from their sources yeah. um, uh, and, and, and haven't been wrong much. So, Juliet, please stick right. around. Um, let us right now bring in former Assistant Attorney General Tom Dupree and former FBI counter-espionage chief Peter Strzok. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Peter, I want to go to you right now. I, the, the question I have is, if this was a regular person, and I, and I put that lightly, I guess, but not a former president, someone not in a high position in our society, how would they be treated if they took something that was sensitive enough for the FBI to go in and take it from their home? Well, that's a great question because, you know, there are a number of former high-ranking officials where, you know, I was present on search warrants that were executed to recover classified information, and they did not have the benefit of a negotiation with the Department of Justice and receiving a subpoena to return the material. I mean, look, I, Attorney General Garland made it very clear, I think, during his speech that they did approach this case differently simply because it was the president. And I think that's appropriate. We have never had a president uh, subject to a search warrant before in our nation's history. And whatever the practice in the past of the Department of Justice when it comes to things like recovering classified information, I think Attorney General Garland laid out a very clear case that they took a measured approach that they attempted to use the least intrusive means. And what it sounds like, reading between the lines, only after they were unable to gain or recover the information that they thought was there, perhaps they had an additional tip that there was more information that had not been turned over. Only after they had tried those lesser steps did they go to the very significant step of getting a search warrant on the former president. Now, given this Washington Post article, it should put to bed any amount of concern from anybody across the partisan political spectrum about whether or not this is a serious matter. As Julia said, the national, the nuclear secrets, whether of our nation or of others, are among the most guarded and most classified of any secrets in the government. So it's entirely appropriate if this is in the material that was recovered, 
it's entirely appropriate, in my opinion, that they ultimately had to go to a search warrant to recover that information. Tom Dupree, I have to ask you, you know, you, you just heard from, from Peter Strzok he talking about that there was potentially a tip and there's some reporting that somebody tipped off uh, the FBI or the DOJ that there were more documents and sensitive documents that had been left and not handed over um, by Trump or his, uh, his attorneys. If that is the case, then how guarded was this really sensitive information if someone knew what they had that wasn't the president? Right. It doesn't exactly appear that it was Fort Knox over there. And the last thing in the world anyone would want is just random individuals pawing through sensitive nuclear information. Look, I think the Post reporting dispels part of the mystery that's been swirling around these whole series of events since Monday. It explains why the Justice Department felt such a sense of urgency. I think there were fair questions raised about why on earth would you execute a search warrant against a former president in his own home, et cetera, et cetera. This helps explain it. This nuclear information if in fact that's what they were going for, that explains why they couldn't go the ordinary traditional route of negotiation, why they couldn't afford to wait for another subpoena, and why they had to make the extraordinary decision to send law enforcement into the president's house to seize this material and this information. Juliet, can you give us a sense of what this is going to be like? And, and Peter, I'll, I'll also ask you this. For those that went yeah. in, for those that went jumped through all the hoops, they, they did go to a, a judge. But even before then, we heard from, from former President Trump and, and some of those surrounding him that, like, we have a great relationship. We had a great relationship. I don't know why they did this. Mm. What does this tell us about why they did this? I mean, it uh, sounds so like it, there was some it, lying going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and it's, you know, one of this is like, we just don't know if this was a carelessness. I tend to think this was more intentional um, at this stage, only because Donald Trump did give up some materials. He did give up some records. We, we know that. We know that other boxes were confiscated. So why were these materials, of which, once again, we don't know what percentage of the materials involved in uh, involved these um uh, nuclear secrets. And we don't know if there's one country uh, that he's particularly interested in. We know he has a strange relationship with North Korea. The North Korean nuclear issue is a big one, obviously, for our national security. So we, we simply don't know at this stage. But um, he clearly was willing to give up some pool of materials and not these. So from an investigatory perspective, even a counter espionage one, if I were a spy, it is, okay, why are you willing to give up this set and not. And that's where the motivation is going to go. I, I just want to say one thing also. For three days, we we um, uh, we had to hear a political apparatus. And I'm only saying this because it's related to the story of the day. Uh, defend uh, Donald Trump and uh, and and challenge the FBI that likely resulted in some violence today. Uh, and so everyone needs to take a deep breath, uh, because uh, if you are supporting Donald Trump or put throwing the FBI under the bus, trust me, this isn't getting better. This story is not getting better for Donald Trump. It is only getting worse. We don't know what it looks like. But if this story, as I believe, uh, because of the reporters, has any foundation, there's going to be no justification 
whether it was the nuclear materials of an enemy or, as I said, worst case scenario uh, uh, of us. Juliet, we're going to get to some of that and, and some of the what we've been hearing over the past 72 hours. There's a really a disturbing, really, attacks on mm-hmm. uh, the FBI. Uh, Peter, I do want to ask you about the rank and file here um, and those attacks and what you think that has done after they have gone in on this extremely sensitive mission that they had to have known was going to have blowback at some point. Do you think they were expecting this? And were you happy with what um, A.G. Garland said um, about those attacks against the rank and file? I think, you know, the FBI, along with the Department of Justice and the rest of the executive branch, went through four years of the Trump administration. So they're clearly familiar with the attacks that he began when he was running for president, talking about the corrupt FBI investigation of Hillary Clinton, and that criticism remained unabated, firing official after official after official. So I certainly think while agents and investigators were prepared for it, it's never welcome. I mean, people go in and they put their head down and they look at their job in front of them and they try and protect and defend the American people and the Constitution every day. But that noise is in the background. And the thing that's changed now, I mean, we had a gunman attack the FBI office in Cincinnati. After the execution of this search warrant, when you had senators talking about the FBI maybe planting evidence, when you had all these pro-Trump supporters saying things essentially like, this is war, this is the beginning of a civil war, encouraging and advocating violence. So it's not just the vocal rhetoric. We now have people physically attacking FBI offices. I think as a direct result, you can draw a line to that immediate response from Trump and his supporters immediately following that search. So we absolutely have to down down the rhetoric. I think as an FBI employee, as you're investigating, it's one thing if you're being targeted and harassed on right-wing media or by the president or former president. It's another thing entirely if you're having to look over your shoulder and look for odd vehicles as you're driving into work every day. And that's something we absolutely, I think, is different now. And it marks a very troubling uh, emergent trend. Peter, we are going to get to all of that in just a bit, what you were just talking about. Juliet Kayem, thank you so much for your expertise. Tom and Peter, please stick around. Our coverage of this stunning new reporting on the search at Mar-a-Lago, including a reported search for nuclear weapons documents, continues in just a bit. When I will talk to former Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. We're following the breaking news and new details that the FBI was searching for classified documents related to nuclear weapons at President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. This report comes from sources who spoke with The Washington Post. They did not say whether these potential documents were recovered. Obviously, this news possesses major questions about national security. And so I want to bring in national security expert, former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. James Clapper, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. In hearing this latest news, um, I think there were a lot of jaws that dropped, certainly in in my sphere. Um, What is your biggest concern after hearing this reporting from the Post? This may have been about trying to take back documents that have to do with nuclear weapons that were inside the former president's residence. Well, Sarah, uh, when this story first broke about uh, the search at Mar-a-Lago, 
And I was asked uh, what, what would be the range of classified information that's conceivably uh, uh, stored there. And I speculated that, uh, you know, nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons related uh, information uh, would, you know, would kind of top the range, you know, the holy, it's a holy. But I doubted it because I thought, I th thought even Don uh, Donald Trump would, would protect those kind of secrets. Well, apparently that's not the case. Now, having said that, we don't know, as Juliet said in your last segment, exactly what we're talking about here, whether this is foreign um, information on foreign nuclear weapons or the worst case, as Juliet said, our own systems. And potentially this is quite dangerous. Uh, if, for example, there are deficiencies, maintenance issues, logistics issues, training issues, both with our Minuteman ground-based uh, intercontinental ballistic missile force or with the submarine-launched missile force. And, it, you know, that's very, very dangerous to national security just to have that, that kind of material just kind of laying around. Now, the mind runs wild here. Uh, for me, what on earth was the motivation for purloining this kind of data from the White House into an, a completely unsecured area like Mar-a-Lago? And that, that uh, you know, again, the, the imagination can run wild here as, as to what the motivation might have been. We did hear um, in the last couple of days and on this show from a couple of White House spokespeople who came out and said, look, you know, we were there and saw carelessness uh, when it came to Donald Trump dealing with um, some of the documents. Uh, they weren't sure if they were confidential and highly, you know, classified documents, but there was a, a sort of a carelessness by which he dealt with these. Whether it is carelessness, whether it is trying to hold on to something um, as a souvenir, if you will, um, or whether it is more nefarious. Does it matter if it, if it was found inside of his, of his home as to why he had it? Does that matter legally? Uh, it really doesn't. Uh, whatever the motivation was, you know, <laughs> you'll find yourself all, almost hoping this was carelessness and that there wasn't some more nefarious uh, motivation here. Was there, for example, and I'm, I'm really going out on a limb, you know, so, uh, some uh, prospect for some kind of sweetheart deal with Putin? Uh, and again, the, the mind races as, as to what the motivation is. But uh, your point is, is well taken. It really doesn't matter. The fact is that sensitive classified information is outside uh, authorized areas and, and uh, being stored apparently fairly loosely at Mar-a-Lago and with, without a lot of oversight uh, or insight into who's in and out of that, uh, uh, of his residence. Can you give me a sense of when there are documents like this, and let's just use what the Post is reporting, uh, that these might be related to, to nuclear weapons. What does that look like in normal times? How are those things stored and kept and safeguarded in a normal setting? The, these are among the most tightly protected, tightly guarded, uh, and tightly retained uh, uh, classified information that, that we have. Uh, you know, our nuclear capability is at the very root of our deterrence posture. This is what protects this country from other nuclear powers attacking us. 
So obviously any revelations about our, our nuclear capability or our deficiencies in our nuclear capability is very, very sensitive and very dangerous to our national security. Highly protected, even within, uh, certainly in the uh, military channels where it, it, it is relied on. So this is, again, potentially, uh, we, don't know, we don't know the specifics, but potentially this, this is really concerning. I gotta tell you, Mr. Clapper, that I had chills down my spine when you mentioned the potential for nefarious activity, and it may not be on Donald Trump's part. There were clearly someone else reportedly must have known or seen something because there was a tipster, according to reporting. Um, this is really serious stuff, to say the very least, and I thank you for coming on the show to give us some insight into all of this. Thanks, sir. All right. Tonight, we're also watching for Trump's legal response to Merrick Garland, who now wants the American public to see the FBI Mar-a-Lago search warrant after Trump spent this week calling so much attention to the matter. The attorney general's very public message that is coming up next. Transparency. That's what Donald Trump and his allies have clamored for. And now the attorney general today is offering the former president exactly what he asked for. The department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former president's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. First, I personally approved the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. The department does not take such a decision lightly. Where possible, it is standard practice to seek less intrusive means as an alternative to a search and to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken. A judge says the Justice Department has until 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow to inform the court if Trump's lawyers will support the unsealing or object to it. Former Assistant Attorney General Tom Dupree and former FBI counter-espionage chief Peter Strzok are both back with me. Thank you for sticking around, gentlemen. Thank you. I am curious from you, Peter, about what just happened today. I mean, the Washington Post reporting is a jaw-dropper, but so was this press conference. Have you ever seen something like this from the AG on a case? Well, I've certainly seen it on, never on a case about a former president, that's for sure. We are in uncharted territory, whether it is the search at Mar-a-Lago, whether it is the decision that the AG should or shouldn't say something, whether there's an ultimate decision about whether or not to charge the former president with a crime. None of this has happened before in our nation's history. So I have not seen anything like this because I don't think any of us have seen something like this. But look, I think the attorney general did an extraordinary job today. He is a man, it is clear, who has entered the job seeking to return normalcy to the Department of Justice, seeking to reestablish past norms. And for him to say anything is extraordinary. But to say it in the way that he did, laying out the reasons why he was doing and not doing certain things, explaining the presumption of innocence, explaining why he was not going to give some detail, but at the same time then offering to and saying that they were moving to uh, unseal the warrant and some of the attachments to it, clearly, I think, transmitted information to the American people that they wanted to hear, and at the same time, put the ball in Trump's court. The 
department wants it, okay, Mr. Former President, you claim you want it out there, it's your move, what are you gonna do? So I think it was just an extraordinary job and a job well done. And finally, his support and words of support to the men and women of the FBI and the Department of Justice was absolutely called for right now. And I think certainly very welcomed within the halls of the FBI and DOJ. Mr. Dupree, do you think that in this case, without saying it explicitly, that Garland called Trump's bluff? Because it seems like a game is being played here. We know that Donald Trump's attorneys were given both the search warrant and the receipt that is left behind telling you what has been taken out. So they could release it themselves, but have been saying we want more transparency. Right. And that was always one of the more puzzling aspects of this whole episode is that on one hand, the president and his supporters were beating the drum saying transparency, transparency, transparency. We have to put the spotlight on prosecutorial overreach. And yet at the same time, they themselves were in possession of some of these key documents, the warrant, the itemized receipt of the items that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. And yet they themselves, even though they could put those Uh, documents out in the public elected not to. I think what the attorney general did today was a bit of a jujitsu move. He was very careful in saying the president himself has called attention to the search. And that's why I feel comfortable speaking about it. What happened today? I agree with Peter. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's virtually carved into the hall of the Justice Department's facade that thou shalt not discuss ongoing investigations. And so for the attorney general to get up and address the nuances of a search warrant, absolutely extraordinary. I think it was the right move. I wish he had done it sooner. And again, like Peter, I very much appreciated that he stuck up and put in a good word for the men and women of the FBI, who I think in many cases, their their integrity here has been very unfairly, baselessly attacked. Peter, why do you think um, A.G. Garland took this extraordinary move? Is it because he knows what is in that search warrant and he knows how serious it is, or is it for some other reason? Well, I think there's a, primarily he's guided by whether or not there's a compelling public interest. And he mentioned that standard, and there is within department guidelines this idea that when there are extraordinary cases of public interest, that dictates a certain way to think about whether or not you should speak to something. So I think he was certainly aware that given the significance of this event, again, you know, we're, we're all so stunned over the past three, four days that sometimes to just step back and say, the FBI searched the residence of a former president still shocks. And so based on that, I think appropriately, my guess is he decided it was appropriate to say something, particularly in light of, I mean, there were senators, there are senators, United States senators, claiming or suggesting that FBI agents perhaps were planting evidence. People who should know better, responsible people who set the tone of discourse in the American public discourse. It, they, they, these statements are wildly irresponsible. And so I think the attorney general saw an important need to do it, but did so in a way that was very tailored to the guidelines that DOJ has to follow. And again, provided enough information to say, we would like to make this public. We're doing this because the president's attorneys have already mentioned this. And it, again, I I think was a very uh, delicately navigated course that he did and did very well. Tom, I want to ask you about one of the sort of fine print points, um, because I looked at um, the, the language as to opening up this uh, search warrant. And in it, it says in many different places, if the Trump, if Trump approves, if Trump and his attorney approves, and that's it's said over and over and over again. So right now, the only thing stopping this, I'm assuming, from coming out and from the judge opening up this this search warrant to the public 
is if Donald Trump and his lawyer say, don't do it. Is that correct? That's my read of the situation. It seems to me it would be somewhat extraordinary if both the Justice Department and the Trump lawyers all said, unseal this document. And for some reason, the judge declined to do it. Um, I know this judge. I've argued in front of this judge. I think he's a thoughtful guy. I think he will take this job very seriously. And look, if all parties are saying transparency is important, let's put this on the public record. It's beyond me what interest the judge could identify that would require keeping it under seal. So again, it'll be very interesting to see what the Trump team does, because I think they've positioned it that if they were somehow to assert secrecy and say it must remain under seal, number one, I think it'll contradict a lot of what they've been saying the last few days. And number two, the judges might disregard it anyways and release the information regardless. And we have um, about 15, 16, 17 hours until 3, I think 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, when the judge will make this decision. So we will see then uh, whether or not this is going to be released. And there are a lot of people who would like to put eyes on that. Tom Dupree, thank you so much. Peter, please stay with me. Coming up, scary moments for FBI agents today and police in Cincinnati. What we're learning about the man who authorities say tried to breach an FBI office with an AR-15-style rifle and a nail gun, the dramatic end to a standoff and potential ties to the larger tension in this country. Disturbing new details in the case of an armed man who tried to storm an FBI office in Cincinnati, Ohio, with an AR-15-style rifle and then engaged in a shootout with authorities. Tonight, sources tell CNN the suspect is identified as 42-year-old Ricky Schiffer. He was killed in the standoff just hours ago after authorities say he raised a gun at police officers. Authorities are looking at sheriff's uh, potential ties with right-wing extremists. CNN discovered social media accounts bearing Schiffer's name and photo, including one on Donald Trump's Truth Social platform. The user posted about today's attempted FBI ambush. Well, it says in quotes, I thought I had a way through bulletproof glass, and I didn't. If you don't hear from me, it is true. I tried attacking the FBI, and it'll mean either I was taken off the internet, the FBI got me, or they sent the regular cops while the posting seemed to end mid-sentence, but that is not all. After the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago, the user posted several violent messages toward the agency, including, quote, this is your call to arms from me. Get whatever you need to be ready for combat. When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty, and he posted, kill them, in response to the possibility of FBI agents breaking up pro-Trump demonstrations in Palm Beach, home of Mar-a-Lago. Authorities are also looking into whether Schiffer was at the Capitol on January 6th. FBI veteran Peter Strzok is back with us now. When you hear these words, and you have also heard the words tyranny from elected officials, Republican elected officials, to be clear, you have heard the words dictatorial, you have heard the words defund the FBI, when you hear these things coming from elected officials, and now you hear the words of this person uh, who tried to, according to police, break in to the FBI with a weapon, what is your response to what this is and what this may be a result of? 
Well, it's chilling. You know, I think for a lot of politicians, for a lot of right-wing uh, personalities, this is performance art. They get up there, they say things that they know are, are going to help them with fundraising that are going to shore up their base and their support. But their target audience within that, there is a small percentage who takes it very seriously, who believes in these crazy uh, conspiracy theories, who have access to weapons and are willing and do view it as the start of a civil war or as a call to violence or as a call to war. And the trouble is that because they're out there, it used to be a crazy conspiracy theorist might exist on his own, but now with the proliferation of social media networks, and not, not the Twitters, not the Facebook, but things like Gab, things like you know Patriot.win and the Donald.win and some of the more fringe sites, groups of people can talk to each other and encourage this sort of dialogue. And even if one-tenth of one percent decides they need to take arms, that's still potentially a huge number of people. And so the task for law enforcement to try and monitor that in a legal way in accordance with the First Amendment to prevent harm, to see it before it happens, is extraordinarily difficult. And I'm really concerned that there seems to be a disconnect between people on the ground that are engaging in violence and an unwillingness of politicians and others to understand the fires that they're uh, fanning. I don't see how they don't understand it since we just, you know, a couple of years ago watched something that happened at the Capitol, the January 6th attack. I mean, we saw it there. We saw the lead up to that. It was uh, online and it turned out that it turned into something real, physical and violent. I do want to ask you if you've been hearing from any of the rank and file at the FBI, um, anybody in the DOJ who is looking at all that's been said by elected officials and by what's going on online and then this, what they're feeling at this point in time. I think people are concerned, first and foremost, because it's the FBI's job to prevent this sort of domestic terrorism and to prevent this sort of violence. So there are a lot of people working very hard to try and get ahead of any sort of acts of violence like that. But again, at the same time, by all accounts, and we don't know much at this point, and the investigation is still very, very early, in many cases, individuals radicalize on their own. They may not be part of some big group where the FBI can detect a conspiracy ahead of time. And at the same time, you're seeing this violence now directed to the FBI. We have this judge who signed the warrant down in Florida who's being doxxed and worse, threatened because people found out who the judge was, publicized his name, the name of his family, his address. So we are entering a period where people are now taking it to law enforcement, taking it to the Department of Justice, taking it to the judges, and not angry rhetoric, but physical violence, threats of death, and trying to, in fact, engage in that. So on the one hand, there's an extraordinary effort to try and get ahead of this crime, but at the same time, it's coming increasingly at real personal cost. Peter Strzok, thank you for all your insights this evening. From Cincinnati to Washington, the question tonight, where does this rhetoric end? Can more violence by Americans against Americans be curbed? Our legal and political experts join me with answers to those questions next. Within just hours of the FBI search on Donald Trump's Florida home, his supporters had one resounding sentiment. This meant civil war. A war against the tyranny of what they called a weaponized Justice Department. It sparked calls not just to defund the FBI, but to see its total disintegration and for, quote, mass arrests of the agents involved in the Mar-a-Lago search. It may not come as a surprise to some, that today an armed man with possible ties to January 6th tried to break into an FBI office. He was killed by local police. 
Joining me now is CNN legal analyst Paul Callen, former Secret Service agent Jonathan Wackrow, and Doug High, former communications director for the RNC. All right, I'm coming for you first, Doug. Mm-hmm. We have heard from elected officials with the Republican Party saying all manner of things, using the word tyranny, dictatorial, defund the FBI. Should they stop saying these things when they know that the FBI was just doing their job? Right. Well, one, they never should have started. You know, let's start there. And a lot of people were trying to urge restraint within the party. And unfortunately, me being one of them, weren't getting very far. And it's not just defund the FBI, which politically is a very bad message for Republicans. It's destroy the FBI, which is what Paul Gosar said. When Marjorie Taylor Greene said defund the FBI, before that, she tweeted a picture of an upside-down American flag. And that is a signal, according to the flag, uh, the flag code, of distress under extreme danger to life or property. In other words, that's not a tweet or a message. That's a call to arms. And so there will be more violence. And members of Congress who've seen their Capitol Police killed, who've seen their other um, colleagues, whether it's Steve Scalise or um, Gabby Giffords, shot, out at, shot at and maimed, Uh, They're going to see this happen again, and they're going to have to answer for it eventually. Can I ask you, as a former Secret Service agent, Paul, what that moment must have been like as they are there to, sorry, Jonathan, um, as they are there to sort of protect the former president, and yet they have to listen to the FBI, I'm assuming. What were those, what what that moment must have been like? Well, I think very smartly, um, you know, cooler heads prevailed and coordination was... uh, uh, in advance of, of, of the raid, in advance of the, the search and seizure of Mar-a-Lago, communication between the Secret Service and the FBI did occur. Now, it occurred at the highest levels. And again, the reason why is because you want to de-conflict any issues. You don't want a bunch of you know, uh, FBI agents showing up, having conflict, because what, what does it do? It causes chaos at the entrance to Mar-a-Lago. The FBI's intent here wasn't to draw a lot of attention to this. They wanted to come in. We saw from, uh, in, we, we read from reporting that the Secret Service facilitated their entry into, into the facility. They got them where they needed to go, pursuant to the warrant that was verified by the Secret Service. And everyone knows their roles and responsibilities. And I think what's really important here, Sarah, is to understand that, um, for the viewer to understand that Secret Service agents are criminal investigators. Every single day, they swear out criminal complaints, Warrants of search and seizure, they, they swear those aff- the same affidavits that the FBI does. So they know what's at stake here. So they help their, their law enforcement brethren go in and do their job, apolitically, right? This, this was not, the agents that showed up there did not have political motivations. They were doing what they are charged to do every single day. You know, Paul Callen, you are our legal analyst, and there are so many legal issues facing um, Donald Trump and and his businesses as well. When you look at what happened at Mar-a-Lago, does it appear to you, from what you've seen so far, and you hear Merrick Garland is saying, hey, we're going to let the public see the search warrant. We know that Donald Trump, or or at least his attorneys, have have a copy of that. Are all the I's dotted and T's crossed from what you know so far, from what you've seen? It's really impossible to know that at this point in time because we haven't seen the uh, warrant uh, supporting documentation. In other words, an FBI agent had to sign off on what the evidence was creating probable cause. But what we have seen, and I think this is extremely unfortunate, are these incendiary accusations made by the former president and other people that, for instance, the FBI planted evidence, okay? Now, I've heard people say, well, it's horrible, you know, that that's what they did. Well, wait a minute. 
the FBI go in on this raid with a bunch of other FBI agents, with Secret Service agents around, it would be virtually impossible for them to plant evidence. Now, maybe that has happened at some point in American history, but it certainly didn't happen with respect to this particular raid. And I think we've all got to take a deep breath and step back and see what the facts are. Maybe in the end, this was an unjustifiable warrant and it was an unjustifiable raid on Mar-a-Lago. But you know something? Maybe, just maybe, there was good reason for it and good cause for it. And we don't have enough facts yet to have an opinion on that. Nothing happens in a vacuum. You know this (laughs) with politics. When you look at this, and you see the Washington Post reporting now um, that there may have been something to do with nuclear weapons, this documentation. What would you like to say to the Republican Party about how they've handled this? Because they are fundraising off of this. Yeah. I'm getting the emails. Yeah. Look, you know, any, any movie or TV show that you see or book you read, when you make a deal with the devil, there's a price to pay. And ultimately, this is what Republicans are learning constantly and relearning. Donald Trump doesn't give points. He only takes them away one at a time. And it's why every Republican or almost every Republican is not questioning the DOJ do the right thing. Was there transparency? Some are asking that. And those are reasonable questions. They're taking it one or two steps further, all in adherence to not principles of back the blue or law and order or rule of all rule of law, but to back one man to make him happy so that they don't lose points today or tomorrow. But is it because they're afraid of losing their power, their positions? And their voters. And their voters, right? Ultimately, yes. All right. Gentlemen, I thank you. Paul Callan, uh, Jonathan Wackrow, and Doug High. I appreciate all of your expertise. I know this has been a wild ride. Thank you so much for hanging with me. Laura Coates is sitting in for Don Lemon tonight, and that begins right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.